this Advent season looking at these echoes of a voice. And it may not seem like um, your normal Advent series. It may not seem like your normal Advent thought process. This idea that, that we have these uh, God-created longings and um, desires that are fulfilled in Jesus. And we've kind of looked at a lot of different places in the Bible. And so uh, to stick with that theme this morning, while we read Luke 2, I'm actually preaching from Revelation. So grab uh, your Bible and you can turn to Revelation 21. And we're going to look at, at the second advent. So what the last two days, maybe on Christmas Eve, you read uh, the passage from Luke. Or maybe yesterday you spent some time there in the morning remembering Jesus coming as the babe. And we're going to look at that, but we're also going to look that like there's also a promise and a future hope that we have. That Jesus is going to come and, and he's going to restore and give us joy. He will be our joy, which just super thankful for what God is doing in Matt's heart because a lot of it aligned with what God uh, was doing in my heart this week in preparation um, for, for this time together. Like we said, we have looked at echoes of a voice, these, these things that are internal to every human. Because we are created in the image of God, we have these things inside of us. And now while not all of us go to God for fulfillment of these things, every human has them. This longing for justice. We looked at Jeremiah's prophecy of the offspring of David, the righteous branch who would come and he would execute perfect justice. And then we looked at this hunger for relationships that we have. That the triune God created us in his image. And so he was community before any of us were created. And he's invited us to be in relationship with himself. And we see that in our quest for spirituality, Paul showed us as he preached to the people of Athens that that quest in every heart leads to Jesus. And Jesus is what we long for. Faith in Jesus. Last week we got to to think about the delight that we take in beauty and how often it's fleeting. And yet the reality is that, that everything that is beautiful testifies to, to the beautiful one, Jesus. Showed us how Jesus satisfies this desire as we gaze upon him. We, we looked at the Psalm of David, Psalm 27, where my, my one desire is to gaze upon your beauty and to be with you forever. And that was challenging at least it was for me. I hope it was for you too. Like this, this idea that in, with all of our competing desires and wants, that the one that should override all of that is Jesus. The longing to know God and to be with God. And so we transition this morning to how those longings are fulfilled. And we're going to look at Revelation 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. So if you found that in your Bible... Uh, let, let's read it together. But as we're reading it, think about like where have we been when we think about Advent and, and the desire that we have for one who would come and save. Have that in your mind as we're reading and seeing Jesus in Scripture. Revelation 21, 1 through 8 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We pray with me? God, we thank you that um, you have given us the gift of your word. That in it we see Jesus. We see Jesus both as helpless babe in a manger, both as crucified Christ hanging on a cross, and both as the coming, conquering King. And so, Lord, all of that has been revealed to us, and yet we, we don't get it. We can't fathom it. Our minds have a hard time uh, wrapping around you and your splendor and your glory and your beauty. And so we chase after lesser things. We chase after things that we feel like we can understand and we can know. And we try to work those things out in our own way. And we try to add just enough of you to be okay. Just enough of you to present that, like we're, we've got it. And it's, we're figuring this out. And yet, Lord, we long to know you. Not the way that um, other people would necessarily explain you to us because they are human and, and they are as finite as we are. But we long to know you and to see the beauty of your splendor, the beauty of your glory, to know joy and peace and righteousness and justice because we know Jesus. God, will you make that proclamation throughout your church today? Lord, will there be some, may there be some that would come to know you for the first time ever? Lord, and would they treasure you and cherish you? And Lord, would you do that in our hearts? Would you stir our affections for you? That we would love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength more today than we ever have in our whole life. And we thank you for the promise of eternity where we get to do that forevermore. So we thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. As we start in the passage, there's this idea of a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the promised hope throughout Scripture. That God would restore, redeem, that He would recreate the perfection that He created in the garden. 
And so throughout all of Scripture, and you, th- you think, well, the Old Testament, like they, got, they had all the, all the sacrifices and they had the temple and it doesn't seem like it's all about the garden. No, it was all about the dwelling place of God being with man. And so even as we walk through Scripture after the fall, God was working through His people to restore right relationship to dwell with His people. But because of the fall, it was broken. And we couldn't have right relationship. We could not just come with easy access to God because, as Matt pointed out, God is holy. He is other than us. He doesn't have sin. We do. And so, a sinful and rebellious people cannot commune with a holy God. And yet God made sacrifices that would point to one who would come and reconcile and make us, make us clean, make us holy, make us righteous so that we could access God. So all of Scripture points to this, this promised hope that we have. Second Peter, in the New Testament, he, he says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. This longing for this recreation, this longing for this reconciling work that God would do, where he would be who we dwell with. Isaiah 65, 17 through 19. And again, we're, I, I got a lot of scripture that I'm just going to try to let the scripture speak for itself today. But it's in the... Um, notes if you want to follow along. Isaiah 65, 17 through 19. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered to come or, or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. You read that passage and you read Revelation 21 and you hear that God is creating a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And in that place, in His dwelling, there will be no sadness, there will be no crying, there will be no brokenness. Listen, today, there are many of us that are experiencing brokenness. Very real, very tangible brokenness. Maybe it's Things aren't going like you had planned. That's one way that things are broken. Maybe it's children who you long to be reconciled to Christ and to know Him and trust Him and love Him. Maybe it's death. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe there are other things, other ways that you are experiencing brokenness today. But the reality is that we live in a broken world. And so this promise of restoration, this promise of beauty, this promise of perfection appeals to us. And we long for that. We long to not hurt. We long to not suffer. We long to not have sin and sickness and brokenness. And God meets us in our longing. And He promises that there will come a time, a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And it says that, 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 that um, if you look in verse, at the end of verse 2, it says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We know throughout all the scripture that bride is the church that God is creating 
and making perfect. And so when Jesus comes in his second coming, we'll, we'll be with him. The bride, those who are in Christ, will be with him. It's a promised hope. And this promise is for God's people. Isaiah 35.10, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Zion often refers to Jerusalem. And so the promise is that we will return because we are the ransomed of the Lord. We are the ones that He has saved by means of His grace and by means of His life being poured out for ours. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And we'll have gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Listen, this is the promise that we, that we see in this first part of Revelation 21. Verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. As you hear that, you should hear echoes. You should hear echoes of all of Scripture. All the way back to the, to the beginning in the garden where God was with Adam and Eve, and he was their God, and they were his people, and they, they had the manifest presence of God, and they delighted in him. And it was beautiful, and it was perfect. And then... Satan came in with lies saying that there's more that they could have. Which is funny because it's the same lie that he uses with us today. When we, we think, oh, there could be more. I, I know I have Jesus, but maybe Jesus and peace. Maybe Jesus and joy, happiness. And so they believed the lie and it was broken and the fall happened. And because of the fall, we were separated from God. But that didn't change God's promise. Leviticus, this is after the fall, and this is God coming to Moses with the law, that, the law that pointed to perfect righteousness. Leviticus 26, 11 through 12 say this, And I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Listen, it's continuing. The story of God is a story that invites his people to be with him. But as we talked about that, this Old Testament law pointed to one who would come and perfectly fulfill the law. John 1.14, right? Another echo, another, another reiteration of God's dwelling place is with man. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This isn't a new plan. Revelation, God isn't speaking from the throne. He's saying, you know what, all this other stuff didn't work. I'm coming up with a better plan. No, this is the same plan throughout all of Scripture, that God would be our God, and He would dwell, we would dwell with Him. But we're not satisfied with that. We want something else. We're fickle people. <laughs> Moments will we'll taste and see some sort of satisfaction in Jesus, and then circumstances will change, and we'll say, oh, it can't be true then. 
what I believed earlier must not be true because this is not working out. So my question becomes, what does it look like to dwell with God? Like if that's what he's holding out for us as the, the perfect thing, the good thing, the thing that we should all long for and desire, what does that look like for the people of God to dwell with God? We just read it in Luke. Emmanuel, God with us, the Christ child has come, and in that coming he brought joy and peace. Luke 2, 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Continues on in, in verse 14. He says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The first advent, the first coming of Christ brought joy and peace. Not because it brought something other than Christ, but in Christ we have joy. We have peace. God, Jesus is our joy and our peace. And then in the crucified Christ, so you have Jesus humble, right? Leaving the glories of heaven and coming and being born in human form. Born in a manger. Having no reputation. He gave up all of that and comes as a human. And then we have Jesus who walks perfect righteousness. We've spent some time in Mark and we've seen like the way that Jesus interacts with people and it is absolutely beautiful. It's what we all long to be. It's what we all want. We want to be in perfect relationship, loving, laying down our lives for each other. That's our hope. That the the righteousness of Christ would work through us and we would both enjoy that and then display that for each other. Treat each other in that same way. And so Christ walks in perfect righteousness. And then finally in his life we see that Christ is the crucified Christ. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Today we're going to talk about means, and we, we already have. We've talked about the means of grace. How has grace come? It's come in the, in the work and life of Jesus. It's come through His death on our behalf. It's come through His resurrection where He defeated sin and death. Jesus is the means of salvation. And so as we think about that, we get excited about it. But what we often forget is that while Jesus is the means, He's also the end. He's the thing that we are saved to. He saves us to Himself. He's the goal and the prize and the reward and the gift that we get. It's not Jesus saves so that we can have joy. Jesus saves so that we can have peace. No, Jesus saves so that we can have Him. So that we can dwell with God. He's the conquering King, finally. We see that in this passage in Revelation. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Robert Mounts, in his 
New International Commentary on the New Testament on the book of Revelation says this, Eternal blessedness is couched in negation because the new and glorious order is more easily pictured in terms of what it replaces than by an attempt to describe what is largely inconceivable in our present state. Listen, the reason that the revelation comes to John and and it describes what it's like to dwell with God by saying there will not be these things. There will not be death. There will not be mourning. There will not be crying. There will not be pain because those things have passed away. Because if he gave us these other things, we don't know what they are, but we do know what pain is. We do know what suffering is. We do know what brokenness is. And so the best way that, that we can conceive these things and understand these things in our frail human minds is by knowing that in that place, they won't be there. When we dwell with God, there will be no brokenness, no sadness, no sorrow. So that even as we talked about, like all of us are experiencing some sort of brokenness, in the presence of God, in the dwelling, when we dwell with God, those things will be absent. They will be vanquished. The former things will have passed away. That's what it looks like to be with the conquering king. And he promises that he's making all things new. Verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. This, this idea of recreating, of redeeming, of restoring. Peter picks that up in 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Listen, Jesus is restoring us. By the power of his spirit, he's establishing us. He's strengthening us. Confirming this belief in our heart. And so maybe today you're even wrestling with that, like this idea that I don't know if I believe this is true. The good news is that it's not on you to figure out how to believe it. God is working that in your heart, and so you are right where He wants you. He's stirring in you belief, He's stirring in you affection for Himself. And so we can rest there, but we should also long to participate in that, long to grow in that affection. And how do we do that? By gazing at His beauty and being in His presence. Finally, from our passage, we have our inheritance. Verse 6 says, And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my people. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Listen, Advent is normally not the time where we think of a fire and brimstone preaching. But if Jesus has saved us, he has saved us from something. And so the reality of hell, the reality of the brokenness that you are currently experiencing, that it would continue because you would not dwell with God. Because you would not be with Him. Because you would be separated from Him. Listen, the the real fear of hell is not the fire and it's not the brimstone. It's that God is not there. That's why it's hell. 
Not because of the torment or the anguish, but because you will not experience what it's like, what you were created to be with God. And so we have to, we have, to have that reality before us. What are you saved from? And then what are you saved to? If you're saved from not being with God, then that means that you are saved to being with Him and dwelling with Him. This is our inheritance. Jesus, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. This is a statement of time, right? When we, when we think about an eternity, from eternity past and eternity future, Jesus has always been. God has always been. But it's also a goal statement. We talked about it a little earlier, but the means and the end. Like when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am both the access, the way that you obtain salvation, and I am what you are saved to. I am the end. Jesus is both the means and the end. And the beauty of it is if we are in Christ, we have received both now. We don't have to wait. It's not like all of a sudden in the second coming, that's when you actually get Jesus. The Bible says that if we have received Christ, we have him now. Everything that you're hoping for, you have in Jesus. Peace, joy, righteousness, justice, mercy, grace, love, all of those things are in the person of Jesus. But you don't get saved by Jesus to those things. You get saved by Jesus to himself. He is the definition of all of those things. While this may be more evident to us, it may be more tangible to us in a second coming, it will not be more true. That's crazy. Because we think if we could just feel it, if we could just see his face, if we, could, if we heard him speaking from the throne, that would change everything. We've heard him speaking from the throne right here. We have it before us. It's just as true today as it will be when we hear it again. But it will be more evident. She, again, this is... Always the cry of God's people throughout all of eternity. Psalm 73, 26 says, my, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It doesn't say that joy or grace or love. No, it says God Himself is the portion that I long for. When we read this and we see that to the one who conquers, you have a heritage of God Himself. And to the one who is cowardly and faithless and detestable, you have a, a portion that will be poured out. There's a reward. For some, it's a good reward. You get Jesus. If you trust in the finished work of Christ. For others, if, if, you, if you're not taking joy in that right now, you're not going to take joy in that in His second coming. And so we have to ask ourselves, like the... There's a real need to look at the way that we live and say, is my joy in Jesus? Do I see Jesus as a thing that I'm being saved to? And does that make me happy? Like, is that my goal? Is that where I'm super excited about? 
Or do I want Jesus and comfort? Do I want Jesus and him to fix these circumstances? Just, do I just want Jesus and the pain to be over and the suffering to end? Listen, that, that is a promise. We have that promise. But we have that promise because we don't understand, like, what is the, what is the good thing that we have in Jesus that is not pain and suffering? And so instead, the best way that we can describe it is saying, hey, when we have God, when we dwell with him, we will not have pain. We will not have suffering. There will be no more death or sin or sadness. We have a heritage. Hebrews 9.15 says, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Why do we have a heritage? We have a heritage because Jesus was born in a manger. We have a heritage because God himself came down and dwelt with man. We have a heritage because Jesus lived that perfect life and went to the cross and suffered in our place. Bore the punishment that was due us. That's why we have a heritage. We have a heritage because not only did he suffer and die, but he rose again, defeating sin and death. So that this can be true, so that when we say that we dwell with God, there will be no more sin, no more death, no more brokenness because of the finished work of Christ. That's our heritage. And there's a consistent portion. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11 say, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, all of that's true. Like, you compare that list to the list in verse 8 of Revelation, and you're like, man... That's harsh. And you, we, listen, we talk about this all the time, how we create this hierarchy of sin, and we say that some of those sins are worse than others. No, we are all sinners, so we all deserve this punishment that is being doled out for the unrighteous. We are unrighteous, and yet in Christ, we are seen as righteous. He is both the way that we have been saved, and he is the one that we are saved to. Verse 11 of that passage says, and, and, uh, in 1 Corinthians says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God. This morning we have um, a call. We have a call to faith and repentance. And maybe this morning you, you've grown up in church Maybe you've even spoke some. Maybe, maybe you're the preacher. <laughs> we are all being called to repentance. Repent if Christ has never been your goal. Maybe he's only been the means. Maybe you know that Jesus saves, but, but your idea of what he has saved you to has been something different. Repent. Remember that if you believe that he's the means but not the end. And then, so after repentance, we go to belief, faith, 
Believe that every longing that you have is fulfilled in Jesus. Believe that He is saved and He's saving you to Himself. That, that the promise of dwelling with God is the best thing that you could ever have. Believe that to be true. And then rejoice. Right? We've sung all of these songs about Christmas seem to have some sort of joy in them. Some sort of peace in them. Because all of these songs about Christmas, all of these carols are about Jesus who is joy and peace and grace and righteousness. And so we rejoice this morning. Our hope is not wishful thinking, but assured promise. And it's an assured promise that will be executed by the one who is faithful. It doesn't rely on us being faithful. It's, it's going to happen because he is faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's rejoice in Jesus this morning. We pray with me? God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have come. Oh, we pray that you would even take this week and begin to expose in our lives where we are seeking the things of God rather than God. Where we're seeking maybe the benefits that you would give us rather than the presence and the dwelling place of God with man. And I pray that you would... um, Do that in us, not so that we would be happier, not so that we would be more content, Lord, not that we would be anything, but that you would be glorified, that you would receive the praise and the honor that you're due. Lord, I pray that we would not think that we have to wait for eternity to happen, for your second coming to happen, that we would receive joy and peace today, because we are in Christ today. God, would you change us by the power of your spirit through the working of your word in our hearts and in our minds for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.